Section 14 of Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations. This is a LibriVox recording. All LibriVox recordings are in the public domain. For more information or to volunteer, please visit LibriVox.org. Recording by K. Hand. Beacon Lights of History, Volume 1, The Old Pagan Civilizations by John Lord. Phidias, Part 1. 500 to 430 B.C., greek art i suppose there is no subject at this time which interests cultivated people in favored circumstances more than art they travel in europe they visit galleries they survey cathedrals they buy pictures they collect old china they learn to draw and paint they go into ecstasies over statues and bronzes they fill their houses with bric-a-brac they assume a cynical criticism or gossip pedantically whether they know what they are talking about or not in short the contemplation of art is a fashion concerning which it is not well to be ignorant and about which there is an amazing amount of cant pretension and borrowed opinions artists themselves differ in their judgments and many who patronize them have no severity of discrimination we see bad pictures on the walls of private palaces as well as in public galleries for which fabulous prices are paid because they are or are supposed to be the creation of great masters or because they are rare like old books in an antiquarian library or because fashion has given them a fictitious value even when these pictures fail to create pleasure or emotion in those who view them and yet there is great enjoyment to some people in the contemplation of a beautiful building or statue or painting as of a beautiful landscape or of a glorious sky the ideas of beauty of grace of grandeur which are eternal are suggested to the mind and soul and these cultivate and refine in proportion as the mind and soul are enlarged especially among the rich the learned and the favored classes so in high civilizations especially material art is not only a fashion but a great enjoyment a lofty study and a theme of general criticism and constant conversation it is my object of course to present the subject historically rather than critically my criticisms would be mere opinions worth no more than those of thousands of other people as a public teacher to those who may derive some instruction from my labors and studies i presume to offer only reflections on art as it existed among the greeks and to show its developments in an historical point of view the reader may be surprised that i should venture to present phidias as one of the benefactors of the world when so little is known about him or can be known about him so far as the man is concerned i might as well lecture on melchizedek or pharaoh or one of the dukes of edom there are no materials to construct a personal history which would be interesting such as abound in reference to michelangelo or raphael thus he must be made the mere text of a great subject the development of art is an important part of the history of civilization the influence of art on human culture and happiness is prodigious ancient grecian art marks one of the stepping stones of the race any man who largely contributed to its development was a world benefactor now history says this much of phidias that he lived in the time of pericles in the culminating period of grecian glory and ornamented the parthenon with his unrivalled statues which parthenon was to athens what solomon's temple was to jerusalem a wonder a pride and a glory his great contribution to that matchless edifice was the statue of minerva made of gold and ivory forty feet in height the gold of which alone was worth forty-four talents about fifty thousand dollars 
an immense sum when gold was probably worth more than twenty times its present value all antiquity was unanimous in its praise of this statue and the exactness and finish of its details were as remarkable as the grandeur and majesty of its proportions another of the famous works of phidias was the bronze statue of minerva which was the glory of the acropolis this was sixty feet in height but even this yielded to the colossal statue of zeus or jupiter in his great temple at olympia representing the figure in a sitting posture forty feet high on a throne made of gold ebony ivory and precious stones in this statue the immortal artist sought to represent power in repose as michael angelo did in his statue of moses so famous was this majestic statue that it was considered a calamity to die without seeing it and it served as a model for all subsequent representations of majesty and repose among the ancients this statue removed to constantinople by theodosius the great remained undestroyed until the year four hundred seventy five a d phidias also executed various other works all famous in his day which have however perished but many executed under his superintendence still remain and are universally admired for their grace and majesty of form the great master himself was probably vastly superior to any of his disciples and impressed his genius on the age having so far as we know no rival among his contemporaries as he has had no successor among the moderns of equal originality and power unless it be michelangelo his distinguished excellence was simplicity and grandeur and he was to sculpture what aeschylus was to tragic poetry sublime and grand representing ideal excellence though his works have perished the ideas he represented still live his fame is immortal though we know so little about him it is based on the admiration of antiquity on the universal praise which his creations extorted even from the severest critics in an age of art when the best energies of an ingenious people were directed to it with the absorbing devotion now given to mechanical inventions and those pursuits which make men rich and comfortable it would be interesting to know the private life of this great artist his ardent loves and fierce resentments his social habits his public honors and triumphs but this is mere speculation we may presume that he was rich flattered and admired the companion of great statesmen rulers and generals not a persecuted man like dante but honored like raphael one of the fortunate of earth since he was the master of what was most valued in his day but it is the work which he represents and still more comprehensively art itself in the ancient world to which i would call your attention especially the expression of art in buildings in statues and in pictures art is itself a very great word and means many things it is applied to style in writing to musical compositions and even to effective eloquence as well as to architecture sculpture and painting we speak of music as artistic and not foolishly of an artistic poet or an artistic writer like voltaire or macaulay of an artistic preacher by which we mean that each and all move the sensibilities and souls and minds of men by adherence to certain harmonies which accord with fixed ideas of grace beauty and dignity eternal ideas which the mind conceives are the foundation of art as they are of philosophy art claims to be creative and is in a certain sense inspired like the genius of a poet however material the creation the spirit which gives beauty to it is of the mind and soul imagination is tasked to its utmost stretch to portray sentiments and passions in the way that makes the deepest impression 
the marble bust becomes animated and even the temple consecrated to the deity becomes religious in proportion as these suggest the ideas and sentiments which kindle the soul to admiration and awe these feelings belong to everyone by nature and are most powerful when most felicitously called out by the magic of the master who requires time and labor to perfect his skill art is therefore popular and appeals to everyone but to those most who live in the great ideas on which it is based the peasant stands awestruck before the majestic magnitude of a cathedral the man of culture is roused to enthusiasm by the contemplation of its grand proportions or graceful outlines or bewitching details but he sees in them the realization of his ideas of beauty grace and majesty which shine forever in unutterable glory indestructible ideas which survive all thrones and empires and even civilizations they are as imperishable as stars and suns and rainbows and landscapes since these unfold new beauties as the mind and soul rest upon them whenever then man creates an image or a picture which reveals these eternal but indescribable beauties and calls forth wonder or enthusiasm and excites refined pleasures he is an artist he impresses to a greater or less degree every order and class of men he becomes a benefactor since he stimulates exalted sentiments which after all are the real glory and pride of life and the cause of all happiness and virtue in cottage or in palace amid hard toils as well as in luxurious leisure he is a self-sustained man since he revels in ideas rather than in praises and honors like the man of virtue he finds in the adoration of the deity he worships his highest reward michelangelo worked preoccupied and rapt without even the stimulus of praise to an advanced old age even as dante lived in the visions to which his imagination gave form and reality art is therefore not only self-sustained but lofty and unselfish it is indeed the exalted soul going forth triumphant over external difficulties jubilant and melodious even in poverty and neglect rising above all the evils of life reveling in the glories which are impenetrable and living for the time in the realm of deities and angels the accidents of earth are no more to the true artist striving to reach and impersonate his ideal of beauty and grace than furniture and tapestries are to a true woman seeking the beatitudes of love and it is only when there is this soul longing to reach the excellence conceived for itself alone that great works have been produced when art has been prostituted to pander to perverted tastes or has been stimulated by thirst for gain then inferior works only have been created fra angelico lived secluded in a convent when he painted his exquisite madonnas it was the exhaustion of the nervous energies consequent on superhuman toils rather than the luxuries and pleasures which his position and means afforded which killed raphael at thirty-seven the artists of greece did not live for utilities any more than did the ionian philosophers but in those glorious thoughts and creations which were their chosen joy whatever can be reached by the unaided powers of man was attained by them they represented all that the mind can conceive of the beauty of the human form and the harmony of architectural proportions in the realm of beauty and grace modern civilization has no prouder triumphs than those achieved by the artists of pagan antiquity grecian artists have been the teachers of all nations and all ages in architecture sculpture and painting how far they were themselves original we cannot tell we do not know how much they were indebted to egyptians phoenicians and assyrians but in real excellence they have never been surpassed in some respects their works still remain objects of hopeless imitation 
in the realization of ideas of beauty and form they reached absolute perfection hence we have a right to infer that art can flourish under pagan as well as christian influences it was a comparatively pagan age in italy when the great artists arose who succeeded da vinci especially under the patronage of the medici and the medician popes christianity has only modified art by purifying it from sensual attractions christianity added very little to art until cathedrals arose in their grand proportions and infinite details and until artists sought to portray in the faces of their saints and madonnas the seraphic sentiments of christian love and angelic purity art even declined in the roman world from the second century after christ in spite of all the efforts of christian emperors in fact neither christianity nor paganism creates it it seems to be independent of both and arises from the peculiar genius and the circumstances of an age make art a fashion honor and reward it crown its great masters with olympic leaves direct the energies of a age or race upon it and we probably shall have great creations whether the people are christian or pagan so that art seems to be a human creation rather than a divine inspiration it is the result of genius stimulated by circumstances and directed to the contemplation of ideal excellence much has been written on those principles upon which art is supposed to be founded but not very satisfactorily although great learning and ingenuity have been displayed it is difficult to conceive of beauty or grace by definitions as difficult as it is to define love or any other ultimate sentiment of the soul metaphysics mathematics music and philosophy says cleghorn have been called in to analyze define demonstrate or generalize great critics like burke allison and stewart have written interesting treatises on beauty and taste plato represents beauty as the contemplation of the mind leibniz maintained that it consists in perfection diderot referred beauty to the ideal of relation blondel asserted that it was in harmonic proportions lee speaks of it as the music of the age these definitions do not much assist us we fall back on our own conceptions or intuitions as probably did phidias although art in greece could hardly have attained such perfection without the aid which poetry and history and philosophy alike afforded art can flourish only as the taste of the people becomes cultivated and by the assistance of many kinds of knowledge the mere contemplation of nature is not enough savages have no art at all even when they live amid grand mountains and beside the ever-changing sea when phidias was asked how he conceived his olympian jove he referred to homer's poems michelangelo was enabled to paint the saints and the sibyls of the sistine chapel from familiarity with the writings of the jewish prophets isaiah inspired him as truly as homer inspired phidias the artists of the age of phidias were encouraged and assisted by the great poets historians and philosophers who basked in the sunshine of pericles even as the great men in the court of elizabeth derived no small share of their renown from her glorious appreciation great artists appear in clusters and amid the other constellations that illuminate the intellectual heavens they all mutually assist each other when rome lost her great men art declined when the egotism of louis the fourteenth extinguished genius the great lights in all departments disappeared so art is indebted not merely to the contemplation of ideal beauty but to the influence of great ideas permeating society such as when the age of phidias was kindled with the great thoughts of socrates democritus thucydides euripides aristophanes and others whether contemporaries or not a sort of augustan or elizabethan age never to appear but once among the same people 
now in reference to the history or development of ancient art until it culminated in the age of pericles we observe that its first expression was in architecture and was probably the result of religious sentiments when nations were governed by priests and not distinguished for intellectual life then arose the temples of egypt of assyria of india they are grand massive imposing but not graceful or beautiful they arose from blended superstition and piety and were probably erected before the palaces of kings and in egypt by the dynasty that builded the older pyramids even those ambitious and prodigious monuments which have survived everything contemporaneous indicate the reign of sacerdotal monarchs and artists who had no idea of beauty but only of permanence they do not indicate civilization but despotism unless it be that they were erected for astronomical purposes as some maintain rather than as sepulchres for kings but this supposition involves great mathematical attainments it is difficult to conceive of such a waste of labor by enlightened princes acquainted with astronomical and mathematical knowledge and mechanical forces for herodotus tells us that one hundred thousand men toiled on the great pyramid during forty years what for surely it is hard to suppose that such a pile was necessary for the observation of the polar star and still less probably was it built as a sepulchre for a king since no covered sarcophagus has ever been found in it nor have even any hieroglyphics the mystery seems impenetrable but the temples are not mysteries they were built also by sacerdotal monarchs in honor of the deity they must have been enormous perhaps the most imposing ever built by man witness the ruins of karnak a temple designated by the greeks as that of jupiter ammon with its large blocks of stone seventy feet in length on a platform one thousand feet long and three hundred wide its alleys over a mile in length lined with colossal sphinxes and all adorned with obelisks and columns and surrounded with courts and colonnades like solomon's temple to accommodate the crowds of worshippers as well as priests but these enormous structures were not marked by beauty of proportion or fitness of ornament they show the power of kings not the genius of a nation they may have compelled awe they did not kindle admiration the emotion they called out was such as is produced now by great engineering exploits involving labor and mechanical skill not suggestive of grace or harmony which require both taste and genius the same is probably true of solomon's temple built at a much later period when art had been advanced somewhat by the phoenicians to whose assistance it seems he was much indebted we cannot conceive how that famous structure should have employed one hundred and fifty thousand men for eleven years and have cost what would now be equal to two hundred million dollars from any description which has come down to us or any ruins which remain unless it were surrounded by vast courts and colonnades and ornamented by a profuse expenditure of golden plates which also evince both power and money rather than architectural genius after the erection of temples came the building of palaces for kings equally distinguished for vast magnitude and mechanical skill but deficient in taste and beauty showing the infancy of art yet even these were in imitation of the temples and as kings became proud and secular probably their palaces became grander and larger like the palaces of nebuchadnezzar and rameses the great and the persian monarchs at susa combining labor skill expenditure dazzling the eye by the number of columns and statues and vast apartments and yet still deficient in beauty and grace it was not until the greeks applied their wonderful genius to architecture that it became the expression of a higher civilization and as among egyptians art in greece is first seen in temples for the earlier greeks were religious although they worshipped the deity under various names and in the forms which their own hands did make 
the dorians who descended from the mountains of northern greece eighty years after the fall of troy were the first who added substantially to the architectural art of asiatic nations by giving simplicity and harmony to their temples we see great thickness of columns a fitting proportion to the capitals and a beautiful entablature the horizontal lines of the architrave and cornice predominate over the vertical lines of the columns the temple arises in the severity of geometrical forms the doric column was not entirely a new creation but was an improvement on the egyptian model less massive more elegant fluted increasing gradually towards the base with a slight convex swelling downward about six diameters in height superimposed by capitals so regular was the plan of the temple that if the dimensions of a single column and the proportion of the entablature should bear to it were given to individuals acquainted with this style with directions to compose a temple they would produce designs exactly similar in size arrangement and general proportions and yet while the style of all the doric temples is the same there are hardly two temples alike being varied by the different proportions of the column which is the peculiar mark of grecian architecture even as the arch is the feature of gothic architecture the later doric was less massive than the earlier but more rich in sculptured ornaments the pedestal was from two-thirds to a whole diameter of a column in height built in three courses forming as it were steps to the platform on which the pillar rested the pillar had twenty flutes with a capital of half a diameter supporting the entablature this again two diameters in height was divided into architrave frieze and cornice but the great beauty of the temple was the portico in front a forest of columns supporting the pediment above which had at the base an angle of about fourteen degrees from the pediment the beautiful cornice projects with various mouldings while at the base and at the apex are sculptured monuments representing both men and animals the graceful outline of the columns and the variety of light and shade arising from the arrangement of the mouldings and capitals produced an effect exceedingly beautiful all the glories of this order of architecture culminated in the parthenon built of pentelic marble resting on a basement of limestone surrounded with forty-eight fluted columns of six feet and two inches diameter at the base and thirty-four feet in height the frieze impediment elaborately ornamented with reliefs and statues while within the cella or interior was the statue of minerva forty feet high built of gold and ivory the walls were decorated with the rarest paintings and the cella itself contained countless treasures this unrivalled temple was not so large as some of the cathedrals of the middle ages but it covered twelve times the ground of the temple of solomon and from the summit of the acropolis it shone as a wonder and a glory the marbles have crumbled and its ornaments have been removed but it has formed the model of the most beautiful buildings of the world from the quirinius at rome to the madeline at paris stimulating alike the genius of michelangelo and christopher wren immortal in the ideas it has perpetuated and immeasurable in the influence it has exerted who has copied the flavian amphitheatre except as a convenient form for exhibitors on the stage or for the rostrum of an orator who has not copied the parthenon as the severest in its proportions for public buildings for civic purposes the ionic architecture is only a modification of the doric its columns more slender and with a greater number of flutes and capitals more elaborate formed with volutes or spiral scrolls while its pediment the triangular facing of the portico is formed with a less angle from the base the whole being more suggestive of grace than strength vituvius the greatest authority among the ancients says 
that the greeks in inventing these two kinds of columns imitated in the one the naked simplicity and aspects of a man and in the other the delicacy and ornaments of a woman whose ringlets appear in the volutes of the capital the corinthian order which was the most copied by the romans was still more ornamented with foliated capitals greater height and a more decorated entablature End of section 14